This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. For those of you who've been in uh, San Diego for a while, you're familiar with SeaWorld and the, and the local concept of the Splash Zone. You guys are in it. Congratulations. Uh, what we like to do... And many of you I know have been here before. Some of you, as I saw by hands, are here at an orchestra concert for the first time. We'd like to start by just introducing members of the orchestra, in particular the sections. So the orchestra, the way it's set up behind me, is the same way we do it every time. And that's important for me because I need to know where to look. If I want to, to, to conduct the violins, I need to know that I'm looking at these people. And actually, could the violins, both first and second, stand up? Now, that's scary. Look at all of them. Thank you. Now, a little larger than the violin are the violists. And the violists are right in the core. They are the heart of the orchestra. And they will now stand up. Yes, thank you very much, Nancy. Now, you came early, I know, and you heard some cellists. So you know what a cello looks like, and you've heard some already. But let's have the entire cello section stand up, please. There are cello partisans in the group. I love it. And we have the contrabasses back in the back. But the powerful, mighty contrabasses. Let's hear it. Lift your instruments at all. <laughs> Now, before you think that I've forgotten of the angelic harps, don't worry. We'll get to them in just a second. Now, behind the strings are winds and percussion, and I will, I'll talk about them in just an instant. But I wanted to introduce the string section of the orchestra. Now, one of the pieces that we're going to play for you tonight is one of my very, very favorite pieces. It's Bela Bartok's Concerto for Orchestra. It was written in 1943. It is one of the standard works of the 20th century, and to me, one of the most emotional pieces I know. We're going to play the second movement for you, and this is a lighthearted part of the piece. This is called the game of pairs, or as Bartok originally said in the score, the presentation of pairs. So if you can imagine that these pairs of instruments are instrumentalists that are dancing with each other, and they will start, we'll start with the winds. So first of all, we're going to ask the bassoons to play your passage, and it will just take me one second to find the right page. Wait a minute, I've never seen this before. This doesn't make any, oh no, here it is. It was upside down. Sorry about that. Let's do the bassoon entry into, into nine. Fabulous, fabulous. Give them a hand. And in fact, stand up. The bountiful bassoons, the brothers of the vocal are there. And uh, that's, a, that's the theme. But now what Bartok will do is take that theme and he'll give it to different pairs of instruments. So let's listen to a couple of the pairings. Why don't we just follow on immediately with the oboes, starting in 25. You'll hear a very similar melody, but with a different instrument.
fantastic. Also, I think we need to see the instruments and the players. We may not go through all of the pairs, but let's hear a couple of more, right? So you hear the same music, and it's passed from one pair to another. So can you imagine this as a kind of dance, where these pairs come out, take a little solo turn, and then come back and sit? Let's have the little clarinet phrase, starting in 45. I'll conduct you through this. Fantastic. Let's, have, let's hear it for the clarinetists. And I think it's great that we describe that as a dance, because can you see them? They're actually dancing while they're playing. It's really infectious. By the way, uh, woodwinds and double reeds, very well known for soothing uh, crying young children. It is really the, 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 the recommended strategy. Now, I think I know I asked other people to get ready to play, but I think what we would like to do is to play the entire movement and then maybe come back to you. So I'd ask you to listen for pairs of instruments and to imagine them as dancers. Now, oh, wait a minute. There is one super important thing. We have... The, the, the bountiful bassoons and the outrageously beautiful oboes and the charismatic clarinets and the fantastic flutes and the terrific trumpets who will come later and the uh, wonderful harpists that will be later on. But there is a soloist playing the king of the instruments, the drum. Jack, can we hear your part just from the very beginning? Very well done. Let's hear it for Jack. So Bartok calls this a game. So you can imagine that these are the players, and that is the referee, and I hope you enjoy the second movement of Bartok's Concerto for Orchestra. From the top with everybody playing all your music.
Beautiful, everybody. Excellent. Let's say thank you to all the pairs. Would you stand up? The bassoons and the oboes and the clarinets and the flutes and the trumpets and the harps and the beautiful brass playings. Let's have all the brass. And of course, the king of the instruments played by Jack. And everybody. Now, we have a couple more pieces for you, but I would invite you, as you have questions, to think of them, to remember them, and then when we're finished playing our final selection, that we have three in mind for you today, you can come up and ask us questions if you see those microphones to the side. So this is a really good time to start thinking about questions that you might have that we could answer. And I would urge you to form your questions in the form of a question. And if possible, ask me something that I know. Our next piece is this extraordinary violin concerto by the American composer Florence Price, who lived from 1888 to 1953. So she's been gone a little bit more than 65 years. But what is extraordinary about the piece you're going to hear, or will play part of that piece, is that this score was lost. It was lost from the time it was written in 1939 until 2009. So 80 years, we didn't know where it was. Then somebody moved into a house, was looking around the attic, discovered a trunk full of music, fortunately knew enough to know what they had seen, and contacted the Florence Price Archives at the University of Arkansas. And these two violin concertos, the first of which we'll hear tonight, was discovered and brought to life. So this piece is 90 years old in one way and 10 years old in another way. It's brand new. Uh, Florence Price was a composer extremely uh, influenced by African-American music. She herself was African-American. And so in the piece you're about to hear, you'll hear elements of spiritual, you'll hear elements of early American style, and it is, I think, just a gloriously beautiful piece. We're playing the second movement for you. And we are very, very pleased that we'll have as our soloist our co-concertmaster, Peter Clark, who's an extraordinary violinist, as you're about to hear, who will come out and play for us the second movement of Florence Price's first violin concerto. Peter, would you join us? Why don't we just play? We'll talk later. Yep. We're no-nonsense around here.
Fabulous. That's great. Peter Clark, ladies and gentlemen. Take a bow, Peter. That's fantastic. Gorgeous. If you liked that, you have got to hear the rest of that concerto because the, the first and third movements are a wild ride. I mean, you will never find anything at Disneyland as wild as the first and third movements. So what we didn't play for you is all the super fast stuff, but that is gorgeous, gorgeous music, I think. Again, we'd ask you to kind of keep questions in mind as we go forward, but just a little bit about how the sections of the orchestra interact with one another. What you heard just now is a concerto, which means that we have a soloist, clearly, and we have an orchestral accompaniment, and it's like a kind of two-part conversation. Well, you can imagine that, but then when we have all of the sections of the orchestra that you've already met, then we have a conversation that not, isn't limited only to two parts, it could be three parts, four parts, five parts, eight parts. We had a conversation a couple of years ago with 65 parts. It was wild. And so we think of our music as a way of communicating with one another, almost as though we're speaking to one another. And of course, we also feel really a part of this community. So we're so pleased that you're here because this is our way of speaking with you. We have one more piece we'd like to offer to you before we uh, get to the questions and answers, which are always really frankly my favorite part of the year. And this is the famous, famous piece by Giochino Rossini, the William Tell Overture. Now, a little bit about this piece. An overture is the first part of an opera. That's what overture means. And usually an opera will last several hours, or a couple of hours at least, sometimes several hours if you're listening to Wagner. But in the overture, what you get are all the important themes and all the important music expressed in really kind of compact form. So what might take an hour and a half or two hours or something like that to hear in its totality, you hear in an overture to, uh, for example, a Rossini overture, over, uh, opera, you hear that in about 10 minutes. So we have a lot of stuff happening, and it goes quickly. So because this will go by so fast, I thought we would talk just a little bit about it. First of all, this is one of the most famous overtures in all of the operatic uh, repertoire, and it's standalone. Mostly people don't listen to the opera anymore. I don't, we hear the overture a hundred times for every time you would hear the opera. It's that famous. But it consists of four parts and four really different parts. And I didn't tell you this, but we're going to play some of those parts for you. This will be fun and spontaneous. Let me get my score up. Well, perhaps I'd use the score that is intended for the piece we're going to, con going to perform. <laughs> I could conduct from the Bartok score, but it just wouldn't be so much fun. There are four parts. The first is, an, is um, a setting of dawn. The entire opera is set in the Swiss Alps, so you have to imagine a kind of mountainous uh, region, a little bit forbidding, difficult to get around, but, you, but if those of you who have spent any time in the mountains also know how gorgeous it is in the mornings in the mountains. And it starts in the morning with, with things that are awakening. Now to me, I don't know, Caitlin is about to play one of the most beautiful solos in the cello repertory, accompanied by her colleagues in the cellos and the contrabasses. When I think of this and think of dawn, I think of things that begin and things that emerge and grow. It's a sort of sign of love because the day is ahead of you. You have everything to look forward to. And so when I listen to music like this, I sort of, I tend to put my hands on my heart and 
listen by looking off into the distance like this. And I wonder, for those of you who are under a certain age, and that age is 97, by the way, if you would simply do this and look off into the distance like that, just momentarily. I'm, I'm looking at you. I can see that you're not doing it. You really need to do this. That, this, is exactly, this is exactly the right look. You'll see why I want you to do that when we hear the very opening. Can we take it from the beginning, please? Isn't it like the day is dawning, everything is ahead of you, and first of all, what playing. Beautiful. And to think it just took decades of uncompromising work to get there. Now, we have that theme, and we've just heard it. And the second theme, which we will not play, because this to me, I believe, or the second part of it, this to me needs to be a surprise. And I, 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 but it is the storm scene. And those of you who spent time in the mountains also know that pretty much every day it rains on you, no matter what, if it's in the summertime. So if you're of a certain age, and I consider myself of that age, when you hear the storm scene and the thunder and the lightning, you could do this, because this is the American Sign Language symbol for rain. When you hear something that sounds like rain, do the, do the hand sign for... Let's see what it's... Oh, this is excellent. Would you mind just standing up and showing us that? This is right. <laughs> Fabulous. I urge you to do that. What comes after the rain? The sun. Sun comes back out again. The shepherds emerge. The animals come out from hiding. And we have this brief moment where shepherds come. And I'd like to play a little bit of the andante, if you don't mind. Again, not having told you that we were going to do this, thank you for being such good sports. So this is the Andante. You'll hear Heather on a beautiful English horn solo and Elena on a flute response. Two. Thank you. Now, when I hear this music, I think the sun is out, life is beautiful, I'm looking off into the distance, and if you would just join, you almost are doing exactly the right, this is exactly right. And when we do this, I would just encourage you to poke your neighbor who is not making the appropriate hand gestures. That's right. I see plenty of poking being practiced that right. So we're going to start just, we should play a little bit at the beginning of the Vivace, don't you think? This is one of the most famous themes in all of television, I mean all of orchestral music. For those of you who are of my generation, and I can see at least a few of you who may be, you know exactly where this comes from. So let's do the Vivace.
the sky. And you're on a horse. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, we have to stop. We're having too much fun. When you hear these themes, I invite you to recreate the emotional aspect of the opera and of the overture by making the appropriate hand sign or jabbing your neighbor as the case may demand. Let's listen to the entirety of the William Tell Overture. You can cut my mic. I'd, maybe I just won't do that.
<laughs> Beautiful, everybody. It's great. Actually, we all need to sit down once because we need to recognize Caitlin. We have time. We definitely have time for some questions. I see, is, is that a line already forming at this microphone? If you have a question, come up to a lit microphone and uh, ask your question. What is your question, madam? What does a harp sound like? What does a harp sound like? It sounds like angels laughing. Well, let's hear, oh, wait a minute, the harpists are gone. <laughs> I was so ready to give you the sort of like, and here they are. But there they are. It's, they're string instruments, and you pluck them with your fingers, and it sounds like, well, I think actually angels laughing is not a bad answer. Well, I'm going to stick with it. Thank you. I'm sorry we can't play that for you right now, but you heard that a little earlier. Is there a question over here? Yes, please. Can you play the rain again? Can we play the rain again? Oh, I am so tired and old. I don't think we can play the whole thing again, but did you notice what happened with that it started really, really soft and with the winds, and then all of a sudden everything happened, right? So I don't think we'll play it again, but you know something? We're playing it tomorrow, and we're playing it on Sunday. Tickets are still available at the, in the lobby. <laughs> can we have a question over here? What does a harp sound like? The harp? It sounds like angels laughing, and let's just hear it. Or the music that comes right as Charlie's Angels comes back. It is a beautiful sound, isn't it? And they're wonderful instruments. Thank you for asking that question again. Whoa, you saved me. Did you have a question? How many strings does a... Harp have? How many strings? This is apparently harp hour. How many strings, Laura, does a harp have? They're consulting 49, is that what? 47 strings. 47 strings. So that's two harps, 40 strings, two times. So like, that's about 195 strings by my calculation. You have a, a question. What is the loudest instrument in the orchestra? What is the loudest instrument in the orchestra? Oh, everybody's vying. Oh, that, that. Well, we know who the most competitive members of the orchestra are. Um, violas, you don't need to raise your hand. <laughs> so, but a mighty section together. All of the instruments can play loud. The actual answer to this is that every instrument can play loud, and sometimes we have sections of instruments so that they're equally allowed across the orchestra. So the, the issue is, or the idea is, to balance with each other and to play equally loud. So while some people can, I mean, I think probably in just in terms of pure decibels, I would give the gong the award, but you never know. You never know. The siren, of course, we don't have a siren. Is there a question over here? Yes. 
What is the difference between a violin and a viola? Oh, you know, this is something I really should know. <laughs> I keep forgetting the difference between a violin and viola. David, what is the difference between a violin and viola? The violin is a fifth higher, the viola is a fifth lower. They have, they're missing the top string, but they have one more on the bottom. Does anybody have a pencil? I mean... Yeah, it's, it's a lower instrument. If you think of a choir as an example, the violins are the sopranos and the violas are the altos. In fact, the word for viola in French is alto. So that's what it is. But I'm going to write that down because that's really good information to have. Do you have a, a question? I'd like to know, so I saw that when you were playing the last part, the yes. concertmaster's strings, he had two. There was one on one side and one on the other. His, there are two strings that were broken. So what is the average time that a string will like last before it snaps? This is a, an excellent question. And I'm going to ask Christine, our principal contrabass player, to say what is the average time for your string to last? Yeah, the bass strings are so thick. These were, I think Abraham Lincoln made those strings. And um, they're still original. Violin strings, when you get in the upper register and you do certain kinds of playing, they can kind of go at any minute. It's dangerous. I wear glasses, goggles up here. It's, uh, so it depends, of course. But strings last a fair, uh, a fair length. But every once in a while they break and you just have to deal with it. We had a, I played a concert last night and the violin string broke and we waited until there was a new one. So that can happen. Yes, you have a question. How many members are there? How many, how many, um, who? Members. How many members of the orchestra? Well, it depends on the piece. Thank you for translating. It depends on the piece. Sometimes we have had on this stage as many as 400 musicians filling everything out. That includes singers and everything. The standard symphony orchestra would be around 85 musicians. Um, but we often play with more than that because we play bigger pieces. But every piece would be slightly different. In Mozart's time, it would be more like 40. And by the time you get to 100 years later, it could be as many as 120. So it changes. But about 85 is a, is a good guess. And we have a couple time for a couple more. How long does it take to learn the harp? <laughs> Don't you have any questions for the percussionists? Uh, how long does it take to learn the harp? It takes forever is the, <laughs> is the very, very good answer. Very good. Yes? What sparked your interest for music? What sparked my interest for music? That's a really good question. My father was a farmer, a turkey farmer in Iowa, and at a certain critical point in my life, I realized that I didn't want to farm. <laughs> This was an important discovery for me. I could do two things. I could sail a boat and I could play a snare drum. And I, didn't, I couldn't figure out how to make any money sailing. So I thought, I woke up and I thought, I guess I'm going to play the drums. And then quite a lot later I began conducting. In fact, my first concert ever conducting was with this orchestra uh, 13 years ago. And we've been together ever since. So my, my, in, my uh, interest was really sparked uh, because I wanted an unusual life, and I thought that music would be my vehicle, my way of experiencing the world and hearing the world in a different way. And in fact, I have played on every continent except Antarctica, and um, it has gotten me around. So that's what sparked my interest in music. Thank you for that question. What, do, what does the gong sound like? Oh, I am so happy you asked. A high five for that young woman. 
Okay, so we're going to do this. Jack uh, is going to play the gong, and the gong produces lots of different sounds. If you play it right in the middle, it's the lowest sound, and at, towards the edge, it's the higher sound. So give us a sort of Bartok third movement, uh, sort of beautiful gong sound. And now get, get us a little louder like it's going to storm. You want to hear just like one more louder? It's just like just, just, one, just one level louder. Wow. You see why it's the king of the instruments. Let's have one more on each side, and then that'll be all the time we have. Sir, what's your question? How did you get all the instruments, props, and how did you set up the stage? That is a really great question. Thank you very much for asking that. Getting all the instruments together, setting up the stage. So sometimes when you're in the middle of playing a concert, you think it's just all about you. You've got to practice. You've got to learn how to conduct. You have to remember to turn the pages. But behind the stage, and you can see them, they're helping you right now with the microphones, are, is more than a dozen workers whose job it is to make this concert happen. And so we are very, very grateful to Matt and his crew for making sure that the lights come on when they show, when the microphones are on, that the stage is set up. And we also have an orchestra manager. And that person tells all of us, most especially me, where to stand and what to do. And Ted, would you just stand up and take a bow? It is literally a village, and we have one more question, and the pressure is on. Uh, how many was how uh, how did the rainbow show up? He was asking about the rainbow in that last piece. Is there a rainbow in? How, when did the, the rainbow come after the storm? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Isn't that the best question? That is fabulous. The rainbow comes just as soon as Heather starts to play. That's what happens. The storm is over, and that is a fabulous question. You have been an extraordinary audience. What we're going to do right now is to take a break. This program, the Young People's Concert, is over. We will take a break, and we will continue with our rehearsal. If you're so inclined, of course, you can stay. It's an open rehearsal. And if you'd like to hear us in concert, we play tomorrow night and Sunday afternoon. Let's give the orchestra an extraordinary round for their beautiful musicianship. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.